Isn't it great when somebody just kind of stands up here and nothing happens? Now, can everybody hear me? Uh, let's see. Give me a emote of some kind if you can hear me in the lore hall here. Aha! Yay! Okay, good. <laughs> good evening, everybody. It's great to see you. We're back on Lander Vaults tonight. Look at all the... I have to say, there's a lot of turquoise names there for me. Yes, and Narnian is here with us. Yay! So we have a great time tonight making our way slowly through the Shire. And I will uh, turn it over to Narnian, our lore master, and see you guys later for the field trip. All right. Thanks very much, Maven. Appreciate that. We are back. Uh, we are back for week number three on our shortest chapter yet, chapter four, A Shortcut to Mushrooms. Uh, we got as far as meeting Farmer Maggot uh, last time, and today we're going to pick back up where uh, Farmer Maggot is telling the story about his encounter with the Black Riders. And the things I want to really emphasize today, I want to be looking at um, sort of the two major things which I think really kind of go together. On the one hand, I want to follow up looking a little bit more at what I talked about last week when we talked about the Maggot household, right, Farmer Maggot's household, as one of the most typical, really one of the only times we see a really typical Hobbit household, uh, as of course is most of the time, of course, we spend with quite abnormal hobbits, uh, Frodo, Bilbo, even Merry and Pippin, not exactly uh, sort of, uh, you know, normal, mainstream, run-of-the-mill hobbits. Um, Farmer Maggot, one of the most typical. Uh, as we mentioned last time, uh, uh, Farmer Cotton, of course, is another good example. Uh, you know, the Cotton family is another good example of kind of mainstream hobbitry. But, uh, but Farmer Maggot is really the first one that we've gotten uh, in this story. So, Looking at his household and, and, and the time that we get to spend there, which I think is really important, um, especially as we're looking at sort of the development of, of Frodo as the story goes on. But the other thing is the encounter with the Black Riders. Um, and it's interesting because in this chapter, there are no encounters with the Black Riders. That is, the closest they ever get to the Black Riders is the, uh, the, the cry that they overhear, the song that they overhear from a distance. Um... Uh, which we talked about last time, and of course they they don't even they don't even really they don't even encounter them right they just hear them in the distance they talk about them and they hear about an encounter this time but they never actually meet them we never actually see them but there's lots of anticipating seeing them and thinking about them right so it's interesting uh, to me to look at kind of. I want to spend some time looking at sort of the before and after, right? Um, what, what I mean is, think about the progress that they've made since they left Bag End, right? Um, in, the, in the first stretch from Bag End, when they first encounter the Black Riders on the road, right? They have no idea what's going on. Pippin is still just like having a jolly time, right? Pippin is still on a Hobbit walking party, even if nobody else is. Uh, and and they don't think anything of it, right? Then, of course, the Black Rider comes. They, you know, Frodo hides on impulse, right? On a kind of whim uh, or some kind of instinct. But nobody has any idea what's going on. Pippin's still trying to make light of it, right? And even afterwards, when things start, you know, when they, they, they you know, they, they, they hide again and they're kind of creeped out by the fact that it's sneaking up towards them, uh, you know, in the darkness, sniffing along the ground. But then it kind of gets trumped by the fact that they meet the elves, right? And so, you know, the, the elves, their encounter with the elves, at least temporarily, kind of drives the, the fear of the Black Riders out of their minds. But again, think about... How, how their attitude towards it. They didn't even know to what extent they should take it seriously, right? Remember, Pippin's still saying things like, 
this might have nothing to do with you know the, the the other thing right with with the other writer i mean like why should we think why should we assume that there's some kind of like horrible conspiracy right some kind of uh, you know some kind of systematic hunt for us across the shire by these uh by these creepy um um you know uh, like outlandish uh hooded people with invisible noses right um the meeting with Gildor is kind of a turning point, and we can see the difference right away afterwards, right? With the, the cry that we overhear in the woods, with that sense of, like, the Black Riders being like phantoms of the woods, right? Um, uh, the, 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 think of how differently they're just looking around at the, the woods that surround them, right? Um, after waking up from their night with the elves... It's like they're still in fairy, right? They they have they have they have moved from just crossing the Shire on a Hobbit walking party to now they're in a fairy tale, right? And they know it, right? They they, they are they know that they are now definitely in that kind of sort of their their encounter with the elves and Gildor's confirmations to Frodo, even Gildor's lack of information, right, that he gives to Frodo seems to confirm, um, seems to confirm the fact that uh, um that they, uh, that, that the, the, um, that they are in fact in that kind of a story now, which again, Pippin at least seemed kind of resistant to, and even Frodo seemed kind of resistant to the idea that this was, I mean, he knew that this kind of thing was possible, right? But as he said to Gildor, he didn't expect to meet it in his own shire. Um, now there's no, nobody's talking that way anymore, right? There's no more like, but in our own shire, how could this be happening? Um, no, in fact, if anything, their own Shire begins to look alien and strange and spooky, but then they're transitioning back into the civilized part of the Shire, right? Back across cultivated fields and, and uh, you know, the, the, the great mushroom plantations of the Marish uh, and Farmer Maggot. And so this final then contrast that we get when we're now firmly back in the real world of the Shire, right? The real civilized world of the Shire, and yet we are, uh, the Black Riders are still coming, and now we know, you know, they're not just these random, unexpected strangers on the road, right? Now we know, uh, you know, that this is part of this, they, all three of them, right, including Pippin, now know unquestionably that they are part of a perilous quest and are being hunted, right? Um, there can be no two ways about that for any of them. Um, the situation has changed, and what do we see? What do we see about... Uh, the encounter with the riders and and thinking about and just the way that they think about um, the riders. So that's what I want to be looking at tonight. Both farmer maggot and sort of mainstream hobbitry, and I want to be thinking about uh, the encounter with the riders. And of course, these two things go together, right? Um, so okay. Anyway, that's my little intro talking about what we're going to talk about. Resisting the riders. Uh, is my uh, title for tonight. Uh, before we get going, uh, two quick announcements, really two quick reminders. Uh, don't forget, tomorrow night, Wednesday night, uh, what is it, May 17th? Don't forget that uh, I'm having session two of my class on Boethius's Consolation of Philosophy. Uh, really, really important work, which will help you understand a lot of things about Tolkien and Lewis and others. Uh, so if, you, uh, if you've missed it, you can catch up on it on uh, iTunes U, on iTunes and the Mythgard Academy podcast, uh, or in, uh, on YouTube. 
on the Signum University channel. So uh, we're having episode two tomorrow, and I'll be uh, I'll be simulcasting that here on Twitch as well, like I always do. Uh, as well as I think I'm going to try again my experiment from last week of doing uh, 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 doing it on 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 Twitter Live as well. That was kind of fun. Um, anyway, now the uh, second. Uh, reminder is just reminder about our summer Hobbit camp this uh, this summer. Most of you have heard me talk about this before. Uh, we are doing a free two week Hobbit camp for middle school kids this summer uh, between July tenth. Uh, the two weeks starting July tenth, so July tenth to July twenty second, and uh, uh, that's going to be really great. We have a we have a great. Uh, group of people. Uh, we're doing that in conjunction uh, with local libraries. Uh, if you want more information on that, if you would like to see if your local public library or maybe your local homeschool group or whatever uh, would like to get involved with that, uh, please do go to our uh, Hobbit Immersion Camp uh, uh, webpage. Go to signumuniversity.org. Scroll down just a little bit and you'll see the yellow tile for the Hobbit Immersion Camp. Uh, the link there that'll take you to our event page and give you all the information and the uh, the the. To, you can download a flyer that you can bring to your library to give to introduce them to it. You can uh, have the link to send your library for them to register for the event, and we'll uh, we'll, we'll we'll get them all set up uh, so that kids in your community can have a really great uh, hybrid experience where they're getting online discussion, uh, lecture and discussion on The Hobbit from us at Signum and getting together in their local libraries or local homeschool groups to do really fun activities and discussion and uh, really imaginatively invest themselves uh, in Tolkien's work. I'm really uh, hopeful. We have uh, uh, several hundred participants so far, as far as families are concerned. So I am uh, uh, really hopeful that you know, uh, uh, dozens and dozens of kids can get, uh, you know, will uh, will really be introduced to Tolkien. Um, you know, of course, it's my it's my 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 goal, my dream, right? To uh, that this experience will help to to fuel a lifelong interest in Tolkien and uh, you know, in the next generation of uh, of students. So, uh, as you can see, that's my that's my my shameless ulterior motive for offering uh, offering the Hobbit Immersion Camp for free the way that we're doing. So anyway, okay, that is uh, the two reminders about stuff that's going on here. Um, let's, uh, let's jump back into, uh, oh wait, first, before we, uh, um, before we, uh, oh, say, wait, one last thought I'd forgotten to give about resisting the writers. Just a, one last comment on my title before I go on to the, uh, the, the, the notes and queries from this week is, uh, as we're thinking about the relationship between the writers and the hobbits, and, and f- with Farmer Maggot here in particular, I want to be kind of thinking about collecting data to answer the question that's going to arise down the road from now, right? But uh, the 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 sort of line that's that keeps rolling around in my head, and I'm sure that many of you are anticipating as well, um, and that is Gandalf's comment in the Council of Elrond, right, when he says it was not easy to think that the, that the hunters before whom all had fled or fallen would falter in the Shire far away, right? He, he says that when he's reflecting on his time at Isengard and how anxious he was in Isengard, right? He's thinking, oh man, like Frodo's toast, right? The Black Riders will have made it to the Shire before I'm going to be able to get there and... How are, how are, how how on earth are the black riders going to be foiled 
in the Shire, right? Um, well, that's one of the questions, right? Good, great question, Gandalf. How are they going to be foiled? Why do they? Why do they fail? Right? How is it that they can't track down Frodo? Why do they not succeed? And that's again, we can't definitively answer that question, but I want to be exploring some um, uh, some of the answers to that. Now, one quick note that I would want to say about this, and this is a thing that I have a kind of thing that I have said many times before, but it's worth repeating uh, because it's it's often important to kind of reorient ourselves as we're thinking about this. It's important not to get confused between two different ways of examining the text, right? That is, there are, uh, and here the vocabulary that I really like to use is I, 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 I borrow vocabulary from C.S. Lewis uh, in his great uh, uh, essay, Reflections, uh, oh, what is it called? Reflections uh, from the Woodshed. Or, uh, I, I'm, I'm forgetting the full title of his, uh, his Woodshed uh, article. But anyway, it's when he's talking about looking at something or looking along something, right? So when he's, uh, when you're, um, uh, when you're, when you're kind of within something, and looking within it, right? And then when you when you step outside of something and you look at it. Both of those ways of looking at Tolkien and at Tolkien's writings are perfectly legitimate, but it's important not to mix them, right? We need to make, to be really clear, and if we can be consistent, about how we're doing those two things. So, for instance, um, if you say the answer to the question, why are the Black Riders having so much trouble in the Shire? Or to ask the same question another way, why aren't people in the Shire more freaked out about the riders? Right? Um, if we want to answer that question, um, then we we could answer it in one of two ways, right? You could answer it perfectly well by saying, well, when Tolkien wrote those passages originally, you know, when he did the Riders in the Shire, he didn't really have a clear sense of what the Black Riders were. He was still experimenting with a bunch of different things. And so by the time sort of the story had grown and developed, so like when we get to the, you know, the Return of the King, the Nazgul and the Return of the King are like, you know, have kind of grown up since, uh, you know, Tolkien began uh, at the beginning of the story. And so they've kind of changed over time. That's probably not how he would have written the Black Riders had he, you know, been in the same space uh, that he was. But that's an answer to the question, right? That is a perfectly, you know, you know, legitimate answer that we could talk about. But it's not the same kind of answer, right? It's a fundamentally different kind of answer as an answer which looks within, right? Which looks along, again, to use C.S. Lewis's uh, uh, vocabulary, um, which is sort of within the story, right? If we accept the story, not, you know, not thinking about Tolkien and his, and his writing of it, right? Not thinking about the process of Tolkien's own development of thought, but instead looking from within, the, accepting the story as a given thing, right? Um, and... That's defensible in large part because Tolkien did it himself. That's how Tolkien thought about it, right? Tolkien would take... It's one of the reasons he didn't revise more than he did was that instead of revising, when he would go back and look at this, right? You know, doubtless, when he goes back and reads the first few chapters after writing The Return of the King, I am sure the difference between how the Black Riders are depicted in chapters 3 and 4 and how the Black Riders are depicted in The Return of the King was not lost on Tolkien. He was a very careful reader of his own book, right? Right? But he kept it that way. 
Why did he keep it that way? Because that's generally his method, right? He, generally, his method is to accept the story that he's written as an accepted text and explain it rather than just go through and, and, and change it. He, he did a lot of work to make everything consistent, but it, that's not always, that's not generally his approach with these kinds of things. So anyway, okay. There, there does exist, right? Uh, he, 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 he invests in this with sort of the rationale that there's a reason, right? There's a reason from within the story that the Black Riders are thwarted. Why is it that the, the hunters before, all, before whom all had, 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 had fled or fallen falter in the Shire, right? So I want us to be, uh, to be, to be looking at this, right? I, I, I want us to be, uh, to be examining this. In this passage, today's passage, the end of chapter four, and looking at his encounter with Farmer Maggot, his, the Black Rider's encounter with Farmer Maggot, I think shows us some really interesting things that we haven't seen uh, before and uh, gives us some kind of clear data and corroborates some stuff that we've seen before. So, okay. Now, notes and queries. So there's uh, only one that I wanted to do today. Great comment by Archimago. Thank you. I think I already saw you here tonight, or maybe I didn't. But anyway, Archimago, this is awesome. Okay. In the discussion, so this is back a little bit, but that's okay. It's from the very beginning of chapter four, so we're still in the same chapter. In the discussion about Frodo and Sam's post-Gildor conversation, Sam's new desire is described as a sense of purpose. I think that was me who described uh, uh, Sam's new desire um, uh, as a sense of purpose. And Archimago says, I don't disagree with this, but I think something essential is missed by characterizing it so simply. I think Sam already knew his purpose quite clearly, as he tells the elves, to stick with Frodo to the end, come what may. Leave him, I said. I never mean to. What we see him struggling to describe to Frodo the next morning is something more complicated. It's something beyond his experience and even his imagination, so that he can't articulate it even to himself. I don't know how to say it, but after last night I feel different. I seem to see ahead in a kind of way. I know we are going to take a very long road into darkness, but I know I can't turn back. It isn't to see elves now, nor dragons, nor mountains that I want. I don't rightly know what I want, but I have something to do before the end, and it lies ahead, not in the Shire. Consider, what Sam is describing is something that lies ahead and something to do before the end. This sounds like something he has yet to do rather than something he's already doing, such as serving his master faithfully. And at the moment, their only goal is to reach Rivendell. A very long road into darkness is something that none of the hobbits, I think, have yet foreseen. This is very true. That's that's a great point. Um, Frodo might have a suspicion, remember... um, uh, uh, Gandalf said back in chapter two, like it may be your task to take the ring to the fire, but that 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 may be for others, right? It's so it's on the table, right? But it's certainly not it's certainly not definite yet. Um. Okay. Anyway, sorry. Uh, and at that moment, there uh, right the only goal is to reach Rivendell. Um, it's easy to dismiss Sam's phrase, I seem to see ahead in a kind of way, as mere metaphor, but I wonder. Sam's vague, shadowy sense feels very much like a glimpse of what is to come. If something like this is correct, what do we call Sam's revelation instead of a sense of purpose? I don't think I can do any better than Sam, but I feel like it's a realignment of Sam's purpose and desire so that they mesh with, uh, so that they mesh with his barely glimpsed, barely understood doom. Although that still doesn't quite capture it. Sam's description is better. 
Okay, so this is uh, just a, just a great observation, and I'm really glad he brought us back to this. We spent some time talking about this uh, passage, but I think it's really great uh, to go back and kind of clear this up a little bit, um, because I think this is very right. First of all, uh, I completely agree with Archimago that this Sam does express actual vision, right? Um, and I think that the point that he makes is a point that I certainly did not make strongly enough uh, when going through that passage the first time, the significance of his s- foresight of the very long road into darkness, right? Sam is really the first one with this kind of, this clear a conviction, right? This clear, uh, this clear uh, a vision, a premonition that the long quest to Mount Doom is going to be their lot, not just Frodo's lot, but his lot, right? Um, uh, again, so I think that's, 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 that's very true. Um, his insight into that is, I think, really important and unique. It's, he, he gets that before anybody else does. Here's my problem in trying to explain it. And I, I do acknowledge that a sense of purpose might seem vague, um, or sort of unsatisfactory. Uh, this is, I, I, I had to cut a little bit to fit it on the slide. Um, Archimago was talking about uh, doom, right, as a possible way to describe that, right? You know, that, that, that it's his sense of doom uh, that he has rather than a sense of purpose. And I agree with that uh, to a certain extent, but here's my problem. I, uh, it is doom, Right him having a sense of what their destiny is, right? Um, this is, again, a, 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 a some kind of foreknowledge, even if it's kind of a shadowy and uncertain foreknowledge of what's going to happen, right? So in that sense, he has a sense of doom. But see, the problem is that it's also about his desire, right? Again, look at, look at, so look at this paragraph in the middle, what, what he's saying here. Um, I seem to see a head, right? I know we're going to take a very long road into darkness, but I know I can't turn back. Now, that could certainly just be a sense of doom, right? Um, I know I can't turn back. Okay, right? So I know this is going to happen no matter what. Now that's starting to sound like doom, right? But look at where he goes from there. It isn't to see elves now. Now, here's a question. What is the antecedent of the pronoun it in in that paragraph? Or in that sentence there, what isn't to see elves now? It isn't to see elves now, nor dragons, nor mountains that I want. I don't rightly know what I want. How is he going to finish that sentence before he interrupted himself there? It isn't to see elves now, nor dragons, nor mountains that I want, what, to leave the Shire? Right? So, his leaving the Shire was always informed by two things, Right? He wanted to stick with Mr. Frodo and serve and protect him. But he also wanted to see elves, right? He also wanted to see the things from Mr. Bilbo's stories that he has loved so much ever since he was a kid. So we had his devotion to his master, but also his desire for these other things, right? And both of those two things we could see very clearly from the infenestration scene at the end of chapter two, right? the elves, sir, passage that we talked about, right? Um, Okay, he's still talking about desire here. So he's talking about doom, right? But he's also talking about desire. Um, It isn't to see elves, nor dragons, nor mountains that I want. 
I don't rightly know what I want. But I have something to do before the end, and it lies ahead, not in the Shire. Um, again, he starts with that sense of doom. Then he moves on to his own desire. He is now stirred with a longing. His desire was a longing, right, for elves, for dragons, for mountains, for these things out of the stories, right? And it was in pursuit of that longing, in part, right? It wasn't the whole story, right? But in part, that was why he was leaving the Shire. Because you can't find those things in the Shire, right? And he wanted to see them. So that's why he was leaving. But now he's leaving because those old longings, those old desires, in part at least, satisfied. Remember, that was the initial premise of their conversation, right? Uh, when, um, you know, because Frodo asks him, like, well, you know, now you've seen elves, right? You still want to go, right? That's what prompts this remark in the first place. He doesn't have to leave the Shire to see elves, right? He's already seen them, right? You can check seeing elves off his bucket list, right? Uh, and so longing satisfied, he can retire back home, right? I mean, at least, at least Frodo asks him that, right? But he says now, no, my old longings, right, for elves and dragons and mountains have been replaced by something else, some other longing. And he associates that longing with the thing to do that he has to do before the end, right? Something to do before the end, and it lies ahead. So his sort of purely abstract longing now has... This is why... So I I would still stand by what I said before about sense of purpose. I'm just trying to make those words mean more than they might have seemed like they meant before, you know? Um... Purpose is the only word I can I can think of that expresses like doom plus desire, right? Uh, destiny plus choice um, is purpose in this in this bigger sense. Um, uh, yeah, Irindus was w- looking for a a word where your sense of doom and sense of purpose mingle. Yeah, I like purpose with the capital P. Irindus, like you're using, is exactly the the way that I would describe that. Um, um, yeah, JJ48 says, I always thought that was the full sentence. It isn't to see elves now that I want. Um, I Meaning, I, I don't just want to see elves now. Um, but see, but notice, JJ, he interrupts himself. There seems to be a direct object coming. That I want what? Again, I, I think it's want to leave the Shire, right? Want to go. Um, But he interrupts himself saying, I don't rightly know what I want. He doesn't know what's pulling him now. He he, he could put a name on it before, right? Elvesir is the name that he put on it before. Um, He can't do that anymore. But there is still some... So it's not just a a sense of, of doom, right? This is what has to happen and there's no sense fighting it. Um, but rather that he, he is still, he is pulled from without by, by destiny, right? Um, he knows we are going to take a very long road into darkness, right? This is what's going to happen. But it's, he's not just being pulled along. He is also pushing himself, right? He is also going, this comes from him as well as from outside. Um, so... Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yeah. Um, Matt points out that it's probably worth remembering that Sam is the one who will complete all the quests at the end with the line, I'm back, uh, with the, the, the there and back again in the last page of the story. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, exactly. Sam is, uh, um, that is a really, uh, it is a really wonderful thing to remember that although Frodo might feel that he is going, not going on a there and back again journey, right? That he's going there and not to come back again as far as he can see. Uh, Sam, of course, is going to fulfill that, and, you know, Frodo will in a different sort of way. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's interesting, Mike. Uh, Mike is contrasting Sam with Tuor from the Silmarillion here, um, who follows his doom, but not really his desire. Yeah, Mike, indeed, you could say almost the opposite, right? I mean, of course, like, once he gets to Gondolin and settles down uh, with Idril, he, he seems tolerably happy in that situation, right? But But his desire was for the sea. Right, he is stricken with the sea longing, and so as he is following his doom, right when Olmo rises up out of the sea and is like, "Dude, Gondolin, get!" Right, um, he goes, but he's literally turning his back on his desire and moving away from it. Right, so yeah, it's it's not exactly it's not, it's not the same, the same kind of thing. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, Marielle, that's a great point. Marielle says, uh, you know, before, um, before this reading through, it never really struck me how much Tolkien is emphasizing that Sam, as well as Frodo, is called and destined to do this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, the the heroism, the central importance of Sam at the end of the story is not something that should come as a surprise, right? Uh, when when you read the beginning carefully. I I agree. It's, it's very clear that uh, this is uh, this is a really important you know, Sam is a really is a is a uh, is not just a bit part in this story, right from the beginning. <laughs> Raban is remembering alone with his servant. Yes, I always remember that line too when talking about this. Um, but the important thing, Raban, is he gets a mention, <laughs> not by name. <laughs> oh well, uh, Raban thinking of the the notorious line in of the Rings of Power in the Third Age uh, section of the Silmarillion where paraphrases the quest of Frodo in like one sentence and doesn't mention Sam by name, uh, says that Frodo alone with his servant goes to the, goes to the, to the fiery mountain. Um, uh, Lincoln sus- suspects that Sam probably wrote that line about, uh, alone with his servant and Lincoln, I have to say, I doubt it, but I love the idea. Like I, I kind of doubt that it's true, but I totally want that to be true. So I'm going to like pretend that that's true in any case. Um, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So Matt is wondering if the missing words, uh, like what he was going to say after I want, um, could be to see. Um, and, uh, you know, Matt suggesting it would align well with foresight. Um, and he's interested in seeing the places described by Bilbo. Um, it isn't to see elves now that I want to see. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Lincoln, I don't want to get too distracted on that. Um, though Elrond is my quick answer. But uh, anyway, uh, okay. So let's, but let's, uh, let's, uh, let's, let's keep going. So I, I don't know. I, I hope this, I, I hope you agree with me that it was worth going back and lingering on this passage again. Because, of course, anytime, uh, 
anytime we can pause to uh, uh, to to focus on Sam, Sam's awesomeness is totally worth it, obviously. Uh, so, okay. Let us then return to Chapter 4 and to Farmer Maggot. Okay, let's see. Where are we? There we are. Okay. So he has just said, he's just told them that he met with the Black Rider and they, they, he brings, but he won't tell them anymore until he brings them inside and gives them beer. They waited anxiously for him to go on. Well, the farmer continued, approaching his point with slow relish. He came riding on a big black horse in at the gate, which happened to be open, and right up to my door. All black he was himself to, and cloaked and hooded up as if he did not want to be known. Now what in the shire can he want, I thought to myself. We don't see many of the big folk over the border, and anyway, I had never heard of any of any like this black fellow. Good day to you, I says, going out to him. This lane don't lead anywhere, and wherever you may be going, your quickest way will be back to the road. I didn't like the looks of him, and when Grip came out, he took one sniff and let out a yelp as if he had been stung. He put down his tail and bolted off howling. The black fellow sat quite still. I come from yonder, he said, slow and stiff-like, pointing back west over my fields, if you please. Have you seen Baggins? he asked in a queer voice, and bent down towards me. I could not see any face, for his hood fell down so low, and I felt a sort of shiver down my back. But I did not see why he should come riding over my land so bold. All right. What are some things that you notice here? First, I, 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 the comment about his being um, uh, all black he was himself, too, right? Um, that's in contrast to his horse, right? So the first thing he notices is that there's a guy on a big black horse, right? And then he comes up and he sees the guy closer and says, the guy's all black himself too, right? That is, he, he's also entirely dressed in black. Um, and, uh, and, and this is why he calls him the black fellow, because that's literally all he can see is his black clothing, right? And he can't see under his cowl uh, into his face. Now, um, Notice the emphasis in that first paragraph, like in his description of the Black Rider. Like, what does he notice, right? What do we get about this funny customer, as Farmer Maggot calls him, right? Um, Notice his emphasis on two things here. His strangeness, right? Um, That is to say, he's uh, never seen any like this black fellow, right? Um... Uh, you know, first, we don't get many of the big folk, right? And this guy was weird even compared to any of the big folk I've ever heard about, right? But then also his oddity. All black he was himself, too, and cloaked and hooded up as if he did not want to be known. Now, you have to admit, that's kind of weird, right? I mean, notice, that's the only explanation that Farmer Maggot has. Farmer Maggot assumes there must be some kind of mundane explanation for why he's all muffled up the way that he is, so that none of his skin is showing and you can't see his face at all, right? Again, it never seems to occur to Farmer Maggot that he has no face, or a writer that that, that his nose is invisible. Again, even that comment on invisible noses by Pippin was a joke, right? Um... He assumes he's got a face, right? But he's all face all covered up. He's in this deep hood, which comes down so far that you can't see his face inside it, right? And so the farmer, quite logically, concludes uh, this is because he, he he must be trying to conceal his identity, right? Um, so that's um, that's weird, right? 
And that's odd. This is odd behavior. I mean, like, why on earth, what motivation could he have for concealing his identity? As if Farmer Maggot would recognize him, right? So, I mean, this is, this is the thing which seems really sort of weird to Farmer Maggot, right? I mean, so I've, he's outlandish anyway, right? Uh, literally from the outlands, but also bizarre even for an outlander, right? Um, and yet acting peculiarly as well. And then, like, his, uh, his speech is all weird, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, several of you are commenting, uh, Mike and Tony are commenting on, uh, on his use of, of, of yonder. I really like the Black Rider's speech here, right? Um, I think this is the longest bit of dialogue we get from the Black Riders. Remember with, uh, uh, with the gaffer, we got the gaffer's half of the conversation, but not the Black Riders, right? We got a little bit of his conversation reported to us by gaffer Gamgee through Sam afterwards, right? But, um, but we didn't hear anything directly that he said. Um, so this is the first consistent narrative that we get, uh, or we, again, at least a report of that conversation from Farmer Maggot. Um, and uh, look at what he says, Right. Um, his first sentence is, I come from yonder, slow and stiff-like, he says. Um, and the, the, the use of the word yonder is adorable, isn't that? Right? Um, I was, um, I was thinking about that a lot before class tonight. Um, and the more I think about it, the more sense it makes. Their common is not very good, right? That's pretty clear. Um, that was clear from the gaffer, right? Um, he's just he's just not not he just does not speak fluent common, right? Does not speak fluent Westron. Uh, why do you think he says I come from yonder? I cannot believe that the word yonder was in any, like, black speech to Westron, you know, guidebook that the that Sauron gave to the Ringrays before they set out on this trip, right? I absolutely cannot... James, exactly. He heard it from the gaffer. Absolutely. No, I'm convinced. I'm absolutely convinced uh, that, uh, that that's a piece of Hobbit dialect, that they picked up, if not from the gaffer himself, from people like the gaffer, right? Because remember, this is the kind of answer that they're going to have gotten from bunches of other people, right? They're, they've been going around the Shire asking, where is Baggins? And you got to imagine, a whole bunch of people, if they give them any answers at all, right, uh, would say, oh, down, down yonder, right? So I, I am convinced that the Black Riders have picked up the word yonder from Hobbit dialect, right, rustic Hobbit dialect, in the course of their investigations here uh, in, uh, in, in the Shire. Um, so I think, this is, uh, I think this is really interesting, actually, right, that... Um, and here's what's interesting about it to me. They're paying attention, right? There is an active attempt on the part of the Black Rider to acclimate itself to local culture, right? 
the first line that he delivers, the first sentence that he utters to this hobbit yokel that he's talking to, right, is what I would think deliberately until, uh, in, in hobbit dialect, right? Um, I come from yonder, he says. Is this the Black Rider's attempt to be disarming, right? Um, have you seen Baggins? To me, the two sentences are what's, what are so interesting in combination, right? On the one, it's like so near and yet so far, right? Um, uh, you know, that on the one hand, his first sentence is, is pretty good, right? His second sentence is not so good. Have you seen Baggins? Well, that gives it... If he was trying to blend in with the locals, right, the second sentence totally gives him away, right? Because that's not how any hobbit would speak. Nobody would say Baggins, right? First of all, it's indistinct. The, the, the writer does not seem to even entertain the idea that Baggins is not a unique name, right? You can just go around and say, hey, uh, show me Baggins. And, the, you know, the, the fact that every hobbit in the Shire is going to say which Baggins? There are dozens of them, right? Um, the concept that it's a family name, in other words, is obviously completely over the head uh, of the Black Rider. He's just not that familiar enough with local customs to get that at all, right? So we can see how alien he is and how, how alien the cultures of the, 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 the habits of the Shire are to him, and yet we see him picking up that speech. Now, um, it is, of course, possible because this is Farmer Maggot retelling, right? Maybe he's not quoting the Black Rider directly. Maybe he's, uh, maybe he's uh, 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 paraphrasing, right? Maybe I came from yonder is a Farmer Maggotism, not the, what the Black Rider actually said word for word. That seems to me possible, but I don't think so. And the reason I don't think so is because of the slow relish that the farmer has in working up to his story, right? Um... Farmer Maggot thinks this is an awesome story, and one of the things that he clearly savors about this is the outlandishness of the uh, of the Black Rider, right? And how strange and queer he was. I would think that if Farmer Maggot misquotes the Black Rider, he would misquote him in the opposite direction. He would he would exaggerate the alienness of his speech rather than accommodate his speech. To, uh, uh, to, to, to Hobbit dialect. So it's conceivable, of course, that I Come From Yonder might just be Farmer Maggot's paraphrase. But I don't think so. Again, I don't think so. I think if he were, if he were changing it, he'd go, he'd go in the other direction. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, good, yeah, yeah. Kuzia was just asking that. Um, and I think it's a great question. Um, <laughs> yeah, Raban says, this is the Nazgul's drawing room manner. It, yeah. It kind of is, right? And can we can we um, just stop to notice what a weird thing that is? Why? Why should the hunters before whom all have fled or fallen falter in the Shire, right? Why, when confronted with Farmer Maggot, sh- I mean, you'd think, right? You'd think that the Nazgul's response here might be something like, uh... Let me torture this hobbit and his family until they tell me what I want to know, right? I mean, <clears throat> why wouldn't he think that? Um, why should he be polite to Farmer Maggot at all? For the matter of that, 
why don't they um why don't they just kill everybody they meet right I mean, like, let's just be on the safe side, right? Uh, let's just slaughter every hobbit from the east farthing to the west farthing and hope we get the right ones, right? I mean, I'm not saying that's the most efficient possible approach, but it's an approach, right? Um, I, 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 yes, Lincoln, Lincoln says, like in the movie. Exactly, yes. The, 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 the killing of that, uh, Hobbit by the road in the film is one of the things that I disliked most about that element, that that portion of the film. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. I think the answer here, right, the, I, I think that the, the clearest answer to the question, why doesn't he do this? Well, okay, like, so what, what are the possible answers, right? Um, he doesn't want to. Why not? Right, I mean, it doesn't seem to be particularly. Black riders don't seem to be especially squeamish, in every other way. He can't. That, actually, seems to be more plausible, right? Um, but anyway, let's let's keep going. Well, hang on, actually, just a couple other things here. Focusing, because I, I don't want to skip over Farmer Maggot's response, right? Um. Look at Farmer Maggot's first sentence, right? Good day to you. He comes out polite but firm, right? He says a polite greeting, good day to you. Informs him, you're probably lost, right? Wherever you may be going, your quickest way will be back to the road. This is not rude. Right? He's not saying, get out, we don't want the likes of you around here, but he is, he does, he is basically saying, I'm assuming you have nothing to do with me, right? I don't want much to do with you, and you probably don't want any, so why don't you go back where you came from, because you're, I, I assume you're lost, right? So again, it's, it's firm, uh, but it's polite, right? He's not rude to him at all. Uh, even though he says he doesn't like <clears throat> the, the looks of him. Notice the shiver that he feels down his back. I saw a couple of you talking before about uh, the black breath and why don't people, uh, why don't people have the, the, you know, sort of, uh, why aren't any of the hobbits affected by the black breath? A great question, right? Answer is, they are, right? Remember the, um, the gaffer told Sam that it gave him a kind of shudder, Right? Farmer Maggot does say that when he gets close, right, when the when the when the Black Rider stoops down, right, um, then he feels a sort of shiver down his back. Now, when we compare Farmer Maggot saying it, I felt a sort of shiver down my back, and we compare that to the you know, the condition that Faramir and Eowyn are in, in the Houses of the Healing, right? It's, it's not the same thing, right? Uh, we're clearly in a different, in a different kind of place here. Um, uh, so, yeah, exactly. See, Lincoln points that makes a really great point. Um, you know, people are suggesting hobbits are immune to the Black Rider's terror, but Frodo, Pippin, and Sam clearly aren't. Um, uh, is it just because these those three are on the road rather than than in their own homes? Uh, he says that doesn't seem right. Well, it doesn't seem to me totally sufficient, 
Lincoln. But it's a really interesting correlation, right? Um, well, let's uh, let's let's keep looking here. Be off, I said. Now he, he says be off right after the black rider has said, "Have you seen Baggins?" And he bends down, right, uh, and he still couldn't see his face, and he feels the shiver, right. And I could not, did not see why you should come riding over my land so bold. Be off, I said. There are no Bagginses here. You're in the wrong part of the Shire. You had better go back west to Hobbiton. But you can go by the road, but you can go by road this time, right? Suspecting that he came galloping across his fields, right? No more trespassing for you. Um, so now he's being firm. Be off. Um, but notice he's not opposing him either, right? This is not Farmer Maggot saying, I will have nothing to do. He tells him where he can find Bagginses, right? So he's, like, compliant in a sense, right? He's, again, he's firm with the Black Rider, um, you know, but he's not like, you'll have to torture me to find out where the Bagginses live, right? Um, but anyway, more, uh, more, more Black Rider dialogue. Baggins has left, he answered in a whisper. He is coming. He is not far away. I wish to find him. If he passes, will you tell me? I will come back with gold. Notice the diction of the Black Rider. The Black Rider speaks in really simple sentences. Just like somebody who doesn't know the language real well, right? You know, he, he can't put together complex sentences. Baggins has left. He is coming. He is not far away. I wish to find him. If he passes, will you tell me? I will come back with gold. Um, notice it's it's almost like he doesn't uh, he doesn't know how to say. If you tell me where I can find Baggins, then I will give you gold. Right? That's too complex a syntactic construction for his grasp of the language. Right? Um, the one thing that he the one complex sentence he says is to me the most interesting one. Right? If he passes, will you tell me? I will come back with gold. It's the only one that's not a simple sentence of the whole thing, right? He does string two clauses together, though they're short and simple, right? But he does string two clauses together there. Um, Now, Tony's suggesting that he also speaks like he's talking to someone he considers very stupid and simple. That is, of course, possible. Um, It's possible to read that as simply patronizing, right? Uh, you know, sort of insulting on the part of uh, of the Black Rider, but I'm not sure. I'm not really convinced that that's necessarily the case. Again, it seems to me to fit with everything else we've seen. Uh, that there, I mean, remember the gaffer says he spoke funny, right? Um, but okay, um, I lo- the, my my favorite farmer maggotism, right? No, you won't. I said, I will come back with gold. No, you won't, I said. You'll go back where you belong. Double quick. I give you one minute before I call all my dogs. I love Farmer Maggot giving the, giving the Nazgul one minute's war, you know, head start before he calls all his friends. If you're not out of this gate in 60 seconds, oh Nazgul, so help me. I'm setting my dogs on you, right? Um, so he's, he's, uh, he's uh, fair and sporting even with, uh, even with the Black Rider. He gave a sort of hiss. It might have been laughing, and it might not. 
Then he spurred his great horse right at me, and I jumped out of the way only just in time. I called the dogs, but he swung off and rode through the gate and up the lane toward the causeway like a bolt of thunder. What do you think of that? So we do end this story with attempted murder, right? He does try to ride the farmer down. Um, but he doesn't try to touch him. He doesn't try to... He doesn't get off his horse and... There are presumably a number of things that a Nazgul would be capable of doing to an uppish, stubborn hobbit farmer out in the middle of his lands far from anyone else or any help or support, right? I mean, mano a mano, you've got to think that this Nazgul probably under normal circumstances could take this guy. Um, and, uh, yeah, Amathorn, I agree, uh, Grip probably doesn't threaten him very much, right? He's already seen the dogs run off, so even that is kind of empty bluster, and even Farmer Maggot has to kind of know that, right? Because he's seen how his dog reacted. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. But, um, uh, notice his description of the hissing. Once again, like the cloak, right? This is Farmer Maggot trying to interpret what he sees. The only sense he can make of the cloak that hangs down so you can't see his face is he must be trying to hide his identity, apparently, right? The idea that he does not have a perfectly normal face inside that hood doesn't occur to him. Um, Similarly here, though, notice the element of doubt creeps in. He gave a sort of hiss. Now, normal people don't do that, right? Normal people don't hiss at people. It's just not a part of the average conversational gambit, and Farmer Maggot knows that, right? The only context in which a hissing sound makes sense as part of a civilized conversation is in laughter, right? If you're, if you're hissing in laughter. But he is not confident, right, that it fits that. It might have been laughing, and it might not, Right? Um, he can't explain, right? So he seems, he certainly does not make the assumption that there's anything abnormal, right? There's anything unnatural going on here, right? Outlandish, but not unnatural necessarily. Um, but he seems to be increasingly entertaining that idea. Grip's reaction is another kind of giveaway that there's something not normal going on here, right? Um... <laughs> now, Irenda says, to be fair, Nazgul was just threatened by having, with having the dog set on him. He might possibly have been laughing at him. Um, it is true. It is true. Certainly that threat would, might seem laughable to the Nazgul, but you know, I don't think so. Um, I think he's irritated. Like, this is his response. The farmer has just defied him. Again, think about the, what, from the Nazgul's point of view, Right. This Nazgul just put... He was, he's was he been on his best behavior, right? No overt terrifying, no threats or actualities of torture. I'm not going to stab you even once. I'm just going to be very polite. Indeed, I'm going to offer to pay you, right? Um, I'll come back with gold. This is supposed to be enticing in some way, right? Um, and the farmer is just slapped it back at him. No, you won't. You'll go back where you belong. Double quick. Uh, so, yeah, he seems... I, I, I certainly take this as a displeased uh, reaction um, uh, to 
<clears throat> the farmer's defiance of him. Um, a couple other things to notice about this passage. First, notice the shift in Farmer Maggot, right? Um, there are three stages to Farmer Maggot's conversation here, right? Stage one is politely trying to get rid of, politely trying to deflect you, right? Good day to you, right? Uh, this lane doesn't go anywhere, so you, you're you, wherever you're going, I don't know and I don't care, but wherever you're going, back to the road is where you'll want to go, so bye now, right? Polite but firm trying to get rid of you is his first response. Be off is his second response. But again, as I pointed out, he he says, be off, go to Hobbiton, right? He does give him information. Um, so his 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 impulse there seems to be just he wants to get rid of the Black Rider, right? Go, go just go away. Um, but you can go by road this time. And his third impulse is open defiance. I will come back with gold. No, you won't. You'll go back where you belong. Double quick. Um, why does that escalate? It seems to me significant that it escalates at the moment in which the Black Rider offers him a bribe, right? I think that that's, that seems to outrage Farmer Maggot. No, you won't come back with gold, right? On the one hand, clearly part of what he's saying is, I've told you to be off, you're not coming back, right? I will not, I'm going to set my dogs on you if you come back, right? So part of it is, I've told you to leave, uh, and if you don't mind me, like, you know, so coming back is not an option with gold or without gold. Um, but I do think that, um, that secondly, he is, things have kind of changed, right? Um, things have sort of, it's one thing for him to say, I'm looking for Baggins, right? This guy's weird, right? But, you know, there's no real reason necessarily to, ass- again, especially since he's not assuming that this is any kind of unnatural creature, right? He's just some weird outlandish fellow, right? Uh, outlandish chap, funny customer from foreign parts looking for Baggins? Well, of course, right? I mean, everybody in the Marish knows those queer folks up in Hobbiton, right? They probably get visitors like this all the time. This is probably an average day over in Hobbiton, right, where folks are really queer, where that Baggins lives and his dragon gold and goodness knows what they get up to over there in Hobbiton, right? So, yeah, so, you know, they probably have, like, a whole separate hostel to put up, you know, these kind of strange black hooded visitors in Hobbiton, right? But in the Marish, we're not used to this kind of thing, so go over to Hobbiton, right? When the Black Rider, though, says that he is coming, he is not far away, I wish to find him, I will come back with gold, right? This changes the situation. This is not a visitor. This is not just a funny customer from foreign parts. This guy is a threat, right? He is hunting this other hobbit, this Baggins, right? Um, and he's hunting him near here on Farmer Maggot's land, right? I wish to find him. I will, I will pay you a bribe if you tell me where I can find this hobbit, this Baggins hobbit uh, that I'm hunting, Right? That seems to me a completely different situation, right? Um, 
Yes, JJ48 says the offer of gold immediately moves the conversation to the sketchy side. Exactly. There can be no question about this now. And Farmer Maggot has nothing to do with that, right? Um, you know, he won't even he won't even listen. He doesn't even seem to be um, to be tempted, right, by the bribe or anything like that. Um, he uh, uh, so so yeah, he's definitely not gonna not gonna stoop to that. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, now back to the the uh, the Black Rider's complex sentence. If he passes, will you tell me? Again, it's just so striking to me that the notice syntactically speaking, what the Black Rider doesn't do is issue a command. He doesn't command Farmer Maggot to do he never uses the imperative mood. Baggins has left indicative statement of fact. He is coming. He is not far away. I wish to find him. Statement of fact. Statement of fact. I will come back with gold. Statement of fact. Promise. Right? If he passes, will you tell me? Right? Question. Interrogative. I wonder, will you tell me if he passes? Again, this is the Black Rider being polite. This is why I think he's ticked off when he's hissing. Why I don't think he's laughing. Because I don't think that the Nazgul have that much of a sense of humor, or certainly not that kind of a sense of humor. I think if you, uh, like, you have to at least, if you take yourself really seriously, you can't laugh at that kind of defiance, right? Even if you find their threat absurd. Um, I mean, he has just, he has just, uh, um, gone really far out of his way to be super sweet and polite, right? This Black Rider. Um, and, uh, and then here's this Hobbit being all, being all uppish to him. Um, uh, yeah, so, Why? Or rather, I don't want to say why, because again, we don't know exactly the answer, but just notice how strange that is. Notice how remarkable it is. Why? Just, we, we need to take note of the fact that when they are interviewing random, strange, vulnerable hobbits in the middle of the Shire, the Black Riders are going around saying pretty please and asking to pay. Right? Um... So, that seems to me important, right? That's how they carry it. Um, I bet Gandalf didn't see that coming, right? I bet he didn't expect that the hunters before whom all had fled or fallen would go around saying pretty please to Farmer Maggot, right? Um, Who neither flees nor falls, but also is never threatened. Just hissed at. Again, there is a little attempted murder, but like, what's that between, between friends, right? I mean, he does try to ride him down with his horse, but it's not, you know, not really serious, right? He was able to jump out of the way just in time. Um, uh, 
I see. I don't think that this is uh, Crystal. I don't think this is native kingliness showing through. I don't think it's this is like the virtue of the Black Rider showing through. Um, I don't think they would do this if they didn't have to. Um, I I cannot see. I cannot look at the conversation with Gaffer Gamgee or the conversation with. Um, uh, with uh, uh, Farmer Maggot. I can't see that as uh, um, any th- anything other than constraint, right? Um, uh, Emma Thorne says, how would the kings from whence the Nazgul came interact with foreigners? Well, Emma Thorne, I can tell you, you know, a king of men who is traveling and talking to a rustic hobbit, you know what he might use? The imperative mood, right? He might give a command or two. Um, that's exactly why I find it so interesting that he never does, right? Um, uh, you know, whether it's the evil wraith being evil or whether it's the proud human king being a proud human king, in neither case would you expect this kind of dialogue, this kind of behavior from them. Uh, now, and I don't even know. Lady Shmevioak has just asked, do Nazgul have any memory of who they were? We have no idea. Probably. I'm thinking probably yes. Um, uh, the Witch King seems to be relatively self-aware, but but we don't even know. Um, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, We'll keep an eye on this as we go forward. Yes, several of you are, are thinking ahead to several other things, and I know it's always tempting to to start kind of following the thread forward through the books, which, of course, is not what we're doing here in this class. We're going through uh, in order. Uh, but that's another reason to go really slow, is because then you don't forget to come back to these things. Um, okay. Let's see. Um speaking of those Baggins from Hobbiton. So look at the conclusion that Farmer Maggot comes to. Frodo sat for a moment looking at the fire, but his only thought was how on earth would they reach the ferry. I don't know what to think, he said at last. Then I'll tell you what to think, said Maggot. You should never have gone mixing yourself up with Hobbiton folk, Mr. Frodo. Folk are queer up there. Sam stirred in his chair and looked at the farmer with an unfriendly eye. But you were always a reckless lad. When I heard you had left the brandy bucks and gone off to that old Mr. Bilbo, I said that you were going to find trouble. Mark my words, this all comes of those strange doings of Mr. Bilbo's. His money was got in some strange fashion in foreign parts, they say. Maybe there's some that want to know what has become of the golden jewels that he buried in the hill of Hobbiton, as I hear. Frodo said nothing. The shrewd guesses of the farmer were rather disconcerting. Well, Mr. Frodo, Maggot went on, I'm glad you've had the sense to come back to Buckland. My advice is, stay there, and don't get mixed up with these outlandish folk. You'll have friends in these parts. If any of these black fellows come after you again, I'll deal with them. I'll say you're dead, or have left the Shire, or anything you like. And that might be true enough, for as like as not, it's old Mr. Bilbo they want news of. Um, first of all, again, as I said before, one can sympathize. You know, every hobbit from one part of the Shire apparently thinks that hobbits from the other parts of the Shire are queer and bizarre. But, you know, 
Farmer Maggot has a point here, right? I mean, come on. Old Mr. Bilbo, he was weird, right? If anyone in the Shire was weird, right? He was weird, right? So for somebody in the Marish who clearly associates Hobbiton with Bilbo, right, to say that folk and Hobbiton are queer, that's totally... That seems legitimate, right? Um... Frodo finds the shrewd guesses of the farmer rather disconcerting. Um, I don't agree with him, necessarily. That is to say, this seems to me perfectly simple and sensible, right? Um, If there is a strange and ominous foreigner wandering around the Shire looking for Baggins, what else is any hobbit going to think, right? I mean, what other Baggins possibly could a strange, outlandish person like this mean, right? Obviously, it must be Bilbo, that crazy old mad Bilbo Baggins from Hobbiton, right? And what's more, he has a perfectly good motive, because Mr. Bilbo came back with a bunch of treasure, right? That was got in some strange passion, some strange fashion in foreign parts, right? Um, and... Uh, You'll remember the the fine line that is drawn uh, between uh, 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 sort of mysterious treasure and treasure which is positively ill-gotten, right? Uh, you know, nobody nobody claims that Bilbo's treasure was ill-gotten, but what hobbit in the Shire would be surprised, right? I mean, the whole thing was strange enough. Uh, how do you come waltzing back to the Shire with chests and chests full of gold? Right, and the whole hill in 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 Hobbiton stuffed with gold and jewels. Right, clearly, uh, there had to be something shady that went on there. Right, you know, some kind of all that wild, crazy stuff that was going on. Right, um, uh, yeah, so Lincoln, I agree that uh, um, I agree that Frodo seems to be getting a little paranoid here. Right. Um, You know, he is sort of thinking about he's making connections, of course, that Farmer Maggot obviously is not making. Right. Yes. Bilbo brought something back in his with his treasure that these guys are seeking. Right. That's, in fact, perfectly true. Um, But uh, it's not that any of them can have any suspicion of that. But again, what else is anybody supposed to think, right? So, I mean, you know, maybe that's what's disconcerting him. Like, whoa, yeah, is it that obvious? Like, is everybody going to be thinking that same thing? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, um, look at Farmer Maggot's intentions, right? Uh, I'll deal with them? Really? Will you? Right? I mean, I love... Both the short-sightedness of this, right? Like, you really think you'll be able to deal with him? But, of course, the determination, right? His confidence um, that he's going to be able to send them packing, like he sent him packing last time, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, So what's Farmer Maggot's reaction to all this, right? Farmer Maggot's just said, and I see, you know, that, 
Yeah, I mean, look at his, uh, his response here, first paragraph. Maggot looked at him thoughtfully. Well, I see you have ideas of your own, he said. It is as plain as my nose that no accident brought you and that rider here on the same afternoon, and maybe my news was no great news to you after all. I'm not asking you to tell me anything you have a mind to keep to yourself, but I see you are in some kind of trouble. Perhaps you are thinking it won't be too easy to get to the ferry without being caught. I was thinking so, said Frodo, but we have got to try and get there, and it won't be done by sitting and thinking, so I am afraid we must be going. Thank you very much indeed for your kindness. I've been in terror of you and your dogs for over thirty years, Farmer Maggot, though you may laugh to hear it. It's a pity, for I've missed a good friend, and now I'm sorry to leave so soon, but I'll come back, perhaps, one day, if I get a chance. <laughs> the plaintiveness of of that line is so touching, isn't it? Right, like, I if I survive till tomorrow, which I doubt. You'll be welcome when you come, said Maggot, but now I've a notion. It's near sundown it's near sundown already, and we are going to have our supper, for we mostly go to bed soon after the sun. If you and Mr Peregrine and all <laughs> I love how Sam is and all, right? If you and Mr Peregrine and all could stay and have a bite with us, we would be pleased. And so should we, said Frodo, but we must be going at once, I'm afraid. Even now it will be dark before we can reach the ferry. Ah, but wait a minute. I was going to say, after a bit of supper, I'll get out a small wagon and I'll drive you to the ferry. That will save you a good step, and it might also save you trouble of another sort. Okay. <laughs> Irinda says, will I ever look upon these mushroom fields again? Um, yes. Oh, Oakwig, that's a great... Uh, 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 well-remembered, Oakwig points out that Frodo began this chapter by sitting and thinking. Remember Pippin's at breakfast, right? Um, and so, yes, now he's uh, he's turning away from his thinking and his sitting and thinking plan, right? That's interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, look at Maggot's reaction, right? Um... Think about the kinds of things that Farmer Maggot could be thinking here, right? Remember that the Black Rider said he is not far. He is coming, right? He predicted the coming of Baggins. Um, and then Baggins came, right? Um, which is why he says it's as plain as my nose that no accident brought you and that rider here on the same afternoon, right? Um... Notice his the, the three things that I wanted to point out. I put in my 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 subtitle there, right? Generosity, courtesy, and discretion. All three of these things shown in a very remarkable degree by Farmer Maggot here. Um, notice his uh, his courtesy, right? Um, in I am not asking you to tell me anything you have a mind to keep to yourself, but I see you're in some kind of trouble. Which of us could do that, right? Which of us could, in a situation like this, not ask the question, Why are they chasing you, man? Why are they... Is that guy after you? What did you do? Why is he after you? Who is he? Right? He asks no questions. Uh, 
but sees, can see all by himself that he's in trouble, right? And anticipates his biggest concern, right? Um, his generosity in responding, again, it would have been, again, thinking about like how Farmer Maggot could have responded, I would think it would be perfectly reasonable for Farmer Maggot to respond to this um, by saying, get out, right? Uh, you are putting my family in danger here, right? The, as long as you're here, that Black Rider is probably going to come back, and maybe he will come back, you know, with, uh, uh, you know, with, with a sword this time, right? Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I want to separate myself from you as far as possible. That would not be generous, but that would be perfectly understandable, right? Not at all, right? He anticipates Frodo's fear and then immediately acts. But now notice how he acts, right? Um, I have a notion. Uh, what's his notion? We're about to have supper. Why don't you have supper with us? It seems like a non sequitur at first, right? Again, he's so... He's very discreet. I'm not going to ask what it's about. I'm not even going to... I'm just going to suggest, uh, why don't you stay with us for supper? Uh, so, but wait a minute... Right After a bit of supper, I'll get out a small wagon and I'll drive you to the ferry. That will save you a good step, and it might also save you trouble of another sort. Notice he's not even naming it there, right? Like the the trouble which shall go unmentioned, because we needn't mention it, right? Um, uh, yeah, and exactly. Uh, uh, Amethorn says it's actually unusual for a hobbit not to be nosy. Yeah! No, did did uh, nosy. They're generally nosy. I agree. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and Tony, I agree. His generosity includes a lot of courage. Exactly, Tony. I mean, I have a notion. Why don't you stay to supper? Okay. So far from saying I'm going to pack you off as quickly as I can to distance you from my family and my homestead and 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 take the heat off of you know uh, my. My, my people here, right? Not only does he not do that, he's like, no, stay for supper, right? I will take you in as my guest. I will, I will, uh, I will uh, take responsibility for you and I will help you afterwards. Um, it's, um, it's pretty remarkable. Um, and yes, Ambrosius, I agree, his, his hospitality is is wonderful. Um, yes, yes, very important. Um, one note, and this is kind of picking up on the ideas from last time. Frodo's confession to Farmer Maggot, um, that he's been in terror of you and your dogs for over 30 years, though you may laugh to hear it. It's a pity, for I've missed a good friend. Um, the fact that this is the farmer maggot, this is the truth of farmer maggot, right? This is the truth of the feared ogre that Frodo thought was going to kill him all these years, right? Uh, remember the lane, Frodo looking at the lane as if it were the slot leading to a dragon's den. Um... I think that there is some... Uh, so here, I want to kind of finish up a thought that I started last week when we were looking at that passage. Young Frodo, young teenage Frodo, 
from Brandy Hall, right? Uh, lived in a bit of a fantasy world. Uh, a sheltered world. A world in which uh, the terrible farmer maggot was the big bad guy, right? He was like an ogre. He was like a dragon. Uh, and to trespass on his land to steal mushrooms was like a perilous quest into danger, right? Um, that was how the world seemed to young teenage Frodo when he lived in Buckland. And we can see that even though Frodo has grown up and has been instructed by Bilbo and has learned many things about, you know, has learned much even just in the last couple days in his trip across the Shire and had his views changed, we can see here a memory or a relic of his old way of looking at things, right? Clearly, after the Black Riders and the conversation he had with Gildor and the conversation even more that he had with Gandalf uh, in Chapter 2, um... Surely his world is now a little bit bigger to think that Farmer Maggot is the big bad, right? Um, and yet he can't. When he sees that he's in on Maggot's land, he can't shake off that fear that he's had for thirty years, right? He 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 cannot immediately shift gears, even though Pippin is like, "What? You know, old Maggot's a stout fellow. What are you talking about, right?" Um, uh, you know, Pippin Pippin has no problem at all. Um, Remember Frodo saying back in chapter two, as and I quoted this last time, that he often felt that an invasion of dragons would be good for the people of the Shire, right? Frodo himself and his memories of Farmer Maggot are a good example of why like him Frodo thinking of Farmer Maggot as a dragon is a good example of why an invasion of dragons would have been good for the Shire, right? To give them a little perspective, right? Uh, to wake them up to the fact that there's more to the world than they think there is to the world. To give them some perspective on things, right? Um, uh, look at the effect that it has had on Frodo, right? Uh, even on Farmer Maggot, to some extent... Right? You know, the kind of gruff exterior and everything? You know, he, 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 he drops that uh, right away. Um, but, um, yeah, so, so I, um, I think that this, this is sort of a really neat point, right? And, and think again in connection with that line that I've come back to so many times, um, that exchange between Frodo and Gildor about the Shire, right? And, 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 uh, shutting themselves in, right, in their own shire and all that, right? It's not your own shire, right? You can shut yourselves in, but you can't forever shut it, the wide world, out. Um, the idea of, you know, the, the version of Frodo that couldn't help but think of Farmer Maggot like an ogre is the ver- very much the circumscribed view, right? The small world view. Uh, when all you can see, when you can't see past the borders of the Shire, when you have no perspective. Now he does, even uh, though again it, it was hard to let it go, even 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 now, right? But the encounter with the Black Rider, 
from Maggot's encounter with the Black Rider, the nearness of the Black Riders, has had that effect, nevertheless. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, Tony, I don't know how old Farmer Maggot is, um, but he needn't be that old. Um, I mean, he has what seem to be grown children. There's no reference to grandchildren. Um, but, you know, he could easily be in his, what, 60s, 70s? Easily. Um, he didn't ha- wouldn't have to be old. He could, might be older than that, but he wouldn't have to be older than that. Um, anyway, let's keep going. Hey. Sorry, my slides won't advance here. <laughs> my, my slides are stuck. I hate it when this happens. Stupid PDF. All right. I'll do it this way. Okay. Farmer Maggot at dinner. Frodo now accepted the invitation gratefully, to the relief of Pippin and Sam. The sun was already behind the western hills, and the light was failing. Two of Maggot's sons and his three daughters came in, and a generous supper was laid on the large table. The kitchen was lit with candles, and the fire was mended. Mrs. Maggot bustled in and and out. One or two other hobbits belonging to the farmhouse came in. In a short while, fourteen sat down to eat. There was beer in plenty, and a mighty dish of mushrooms and bacon, besides much other solid farmhouse fare. The dogs lay by the fire and gnawed rinds and cracked bones. When they had finished, the farmer and his sons went out with a lantern and got the wagon ready. It was dark in the yard when the guests came out. They threw their packs on board and climbed in. The farmer sat in the driving seat and whipped up his two stout ponies. His wife stood in the light of the open door. "'You be careful of yourself, maggot,' she called. "'Don't go arguing with any foreigners and come straight back.' I suppose he gets used to being called maggot by his wife. (laughs) Though I have to admit, that always takes me aback somewhat. Um, Anyway, uh, uh, okay, Um, this first paragraph, I don't have a whole lot to say about it, other than the fact that I really um, love this description, right? Um, But again, a wonderful little vision of how normal hobbits live, right? And notice several things about it. Notice the the big table, right? Fourteen of them sat down to eat. So there were Frodo and Pippin and Sam. That's three. So normally there's 11 of them. We know they've got two of them and five children, right? So there's seven maggots uh, in the family. Uh, and f- so four farmhands who are presumably paid hands, right? Who work for the farm. Um, but they apparently live there, and they sit and eat with them all at the table, right? Um, uh, so that's, uh, um, that's, I just, I, you know, the, the servants don't eat separately, right? The farmhands eat with the family, uh, the image of the dogs laying by the fire and gnawing rinds and cracking bones, right? This sort of, uh, uh, it's interesting there. We don't get, it's almost like a kind of stand-in, right? We don't get any reference to the hobbits themselves savoring their food, right? Um, although we 
can be sure that they do enjoy the mighty dish, uh, and I love the adjective mighty uh, here, the mighty dish of mushrooms and bacon and the beer in plenty, right? Um, but the actual description of savoring of food is from the dogs, right? Gnawing rinds and cracking bones. Um, but uh, yeah, Emma Thorne, I suspect that there is uh, there is some domestic help as well. I suspect that of the of those uh, of those four farmhands, there's uh, there's there's got to be at least one for indoor work to help Mrs. Maggot as well. You you got to think, um, just knowing how farms work, right? But anyway, yeah. Um, so what else? What else do we see? I love Mrs. Maggot's words, right? Um, don't go arguing with any foreigners, right? The sort of mixture of, uh, you know, I don't know, prudence and courage here, just to characterize this. Uh, <laughs> several of you are laughing about this, you know, as if uh, this is something she's got to, she's got to uh, tell him all the time, as if arguing with foreigners is a major pastime of his, maybe. Um, but, uh, but the fact that this is how she characterizes conflict with the Black Riders, right? You know, the hunters before whom all have fled or fallen are in town, so don't you go arguing with them, right? Don't, don't go arguing with foreigners. Um, you know, she's, uh, she's worried, but even her worries are kind of understated. Um, I love the description of the wagon, right? Um, they got the wagon ready. It was dark in the yard. When the guests came out, they threw their packs on board and climbed in. The farmer sat in the driving seat and whipped up his two stout ponies. Right? This is the the combination of the rusticity of the thing, right, with the courage and heroism of the moment, right? He is here's Farmer Maggot sallying forth to strike a blow against the dark hunters, right, and to. Uh, uh, to smuggle a fugitive to safety when he's being pursued by uh, uh, by strange and uh, uh, possibly preternatural assassins, uh, and this image, you know, the combination of that knowledge with uh, whipping up his two stout ponies uh, in the from the driving seat of his little of his small wagon, right, is um, just sort of lovely. There, look at the description as they go out. There was now no breath of wind stirring. The night was still and quiet, and a chill was in the air. They went without lights and took it slowly. After a mile or two, the lane came to an end, crossing a deep dike and climbing a short slope up onto the high-banked causeway. Maggot got down and took a good look either way, north and south, but nothing could be seen in the darkness, and there was not a sound in the still air. Thin strands of river mist were hanging above the dikes and crawling over the fields. "'It's going to be thick,' said Maggot. "'But I'll not light my lanterns till I turn for home. "'We'll hear anything on the road long before we meet it tonight.' "'It was five miles or more from Maggot's Lane to the ferry. "'The hobbits wrapped themselves up, "'but their ears were strained for any sound "'above the creak of the wheels and the slow clop of the pony's hoofs. "'The wagon seemed slower than a snail to Frodo. "'Beside him Pippin was nodding towards sleep, "'but Sam was staring forwards into the rising fog.' Um, notice how exposed and vulnerable they are here, right? Um, they, they 
come down the lane to the causeway. And remember, this, so you can see it's a high-banked causeway. There's a slope up onto the main road, right, which then goes in the causeway across the Marish over to the ferry. Um, the, he doesn't like the lights, right, because you could see him for miles and miles across the flat Marish, right, up on the causeway with his lanterns, right? <clears throat> so he has to go in the darkness. And that this this really vivid description that we get of them in this slow-moving wagon, right? Because it's dark and it's night and they have no lights and so they're not, like, there are two effects of going slowly, right? That by going slowly they can, A, keep the noise down because, of course, you're also going to be able to hear, as they can see, we'll we'll hear anything on the road long before we meet it tonight and, oh, by the way, they'll be able to hear us too, right? So, um... A wagon like that, two ponies pulling a wagon, the wagon rattling along and, and, and you know, rumbling along in its wooden wheels and, and the, the clop of the ponies hooves. Um, that's going to be the, the faster they go, the louder that's going to be. Right. Whereas if they go slowly, they'll be less likely to make noise, not to mention less likely to fall off the causeway in the dark and fog. Right. So that's also where that would be bad. Um so he's going to go very slowly to make sure they don't fall off um, and to make sure they can't be heard. But, of course, it means that they're creeping, creeping, snail-like towards the ferry covering this five mile. And who knows uh, how long um, it takes. Oakwig says that he's hoping that uh, uh, there's, uh, there's an emergency bottle of brandy under the seats. And maybe, I don't know, if they, uh, uh, if they, if they have any plum brandy, uh, uh, you know... Uh, Farmer Maggot's a pretty good host. Is he as good a host as Dracula? I guess so, maybe. Um, but um, anyway, it's the sense of how, again, how how vulnerable they are. These black riders, they, they have no protection, right? They're completely exposed in the dark, and the darkness itself, which is threatening to them, is no protection, right? We've been told. they know, Frodo knows it's no protection. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, let's keep going. And they're trapped, right, in this little wagon, which is a disguise. But again, it, but it's also it's also, you know. And then notice how Tolkien shifts the register here. Notice how close we get to this scene. They reached the entrance to the ferry lane at last. It was marked by two tall white posts that suddenly loomed up on their right. Farmer Maggot drew in his ponies, and the wagon creaked to a halt. They were just beginning to scramble out when suddenly they heard what they had all been dreading, hoofs on the road ahead. The sound was coming towards them. Maggot jumped down and stood holding the ponies' heads and peering forward into the gloom. Clip-clop, clip-clop came the approaching rider. The fall of the hoof sounded loud in the still, foggy air. "'You'd better be hidden, Mr. Frodo,' said Sam anxiously. "'You get down in the wagon and cover up with blankets, and we'll send this rider to the rightabouts.' He climbed out and went to the farmer's side. Black riders would have to ride over him to get near the wagon. Clop, 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 clop. The rider was nearly on them. "'Hello there,' called Farmer Maggot. The advancing hoofs stopped short. They thought they could dimly guess a dark, cloaked shape in the mist, a yard or two ahead. "'Now then,' said the farmer, throwing the reins to Sam and striding forward, "'don't you come a step nearer. What do you want, and where are you going?' Um, I love the 
description of the sounds, right? Notice how Tolkien invites us to place ourselves here, right? To feel the suspense of this moment, uh, the fear of the hobbits as they're they're convinced that they've been discovered, right? Um, the sound of the the sound of the 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 horse's hoofs. Notice the shift, right? Clip clop, clip clop to clop clop, clop clop, as it gets closer and louder upon them. Uh, I, I love that detail. It's again, like you, you can you can hear it, right? Uh, you're right there. Um, this is a fulfillment of that of the you know the dread that they've been feeling all through this ride, and now the worst has come upon them. Look at Farmer Maggot under pressure, right? How does Farmer Maggot act under these circumstances? First impulse to hold the ponies' heads, right? He jumps down and runs to the front. Right, so he runs towards danger, puts himself between danger uh, and the ponies, not to protect the ponies, but to hold the ponies. He, he remembers what happened to Grip, right? The ponies might spook, and if the ponies spook and run off in the dark and fog on the causeway, good grief, what could happen, right? They'll certainly fall into the swamp and be killed, not to mention the guests. So, you know, quickly he 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 runs forward to make sure that nothing like that happens, right? Um, uh, But, of course, he's also putting himself between the danger and his guests as well. And then uh, uh, setting forth what uh, Irendis calls the battle cry of the Marish. Hello there! Uh, He uh, he confronts him, right? Um, He, uh, uh, yeah... Yeah, he 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 he. Don't you come a step nearer? Notice Farmer Maggot has no objection to using the imperative mood, right? What do you want, and where are you going? Um, is Pippin asleep? Yeah, I don't know if Pippin is asleep. Um, he was heading towards sleep. I doubt he's actually asleep now, uh, but um. Uh, but he certainly doesn't take any part of this, right? Um, but this, this, this moment, Farmer Maggot right here, right? Crying out, hello there, now then, don't you come a step nearer, right? Throwing the reins to Sam and striding forward, right? I mean, come on, this is Farmer Maggot at his most heroic, right? Um... For all he knows, stepping out in active defiance of whatever this thing was that freaked out his dog and and uh, tried to ride him down earlier that day, um, and then of course we see Sam under pressure, right? Uh, the comment, you know, that the black riders would have to ride over him to get near the wagon—that's the narrator telling us that, right? And not the, um, and not uh, Sam himself actually saying that, but he might as well have said it, right? Um, We'll send this rider to the rightabouts, he says. Um, the rightabouts, now I don't, I'm not very familiar with this word, but that means we're going to send him back the way that he came, right? We're going to make him do a 180 degree turn and go back, right? Um, we'll send this rider to the rightabouts. We'll make him turn around and leave. He has no plan, right? Neither of them, Maggot nor Sam, have any plan, right? Um, but that's part of the. Uh, uh, that's part of the the beauty of this moment, right? Um, 
Yeah, Tony Mead says it's a pity we don't get more of Maggot during later during the scouring. I always regretted that too, Tony. I wished that uh, we could see more Farmer Maggot during the scouring of the Shire. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, one last <clears throat> passage. The Resolution. I want Mr. Baggins. Have you seen him? said a muffled voice. But the voice was the voice of Mary Brandybuck. A dark lantern was uncovered, and its light fell on the astonished face of the farmer. "'Mr. Mary!' he cried. "'Yes, of course! Who did you think it was?' said Mary, coming forward. As he came out of the mist and their fears subsided, he seemed suddenly to diminish to ordinary hobbit size. He was riding a pony, and a scarf was swathed round his neck and over his chin to keep out the fog. Um... Yes, who did you think it was? Weren't you expecting me? Right? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's... Now, notice, we immediately know that it's not a black writer, right? As soon as he starts talking. Even before the narrator tells us that the voice is the voice of Mary Brandybuck, we know, right? How do we know? How do we know? What should tell us without question that it's not a black rider? Got it, Gravity and Ambrosius. Yes, exactly. He asks the right question. I want Mr. Baggins. Have you seen him? Except no black rider would call him Mr. Baggins. It's obviously a hobbit, right? He would just say, I want Baggins. Have you seen him? Right? That's just what a black rider would say. But yeah, so his uh, his 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 diction, right? Um, his dialect is obviously different from the very beginning. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, very good. So as soon as he opens his mouth, the spell is broken, right? As soon as he speaks, the spell is broken, which is of course kind of fun. Um, now. Um, Notice the fear of the hobbits. We were talking earlier about, you know, are hobbits just immune to the fear that the Black Riders are supposed to bring? Obviously not. They were terrified, even here, when they're not confronted by it, right? And their own fears were exact, you know, they, they were mistaking Mary on his pony, muffled up against the fog, for a Black Rider, right? Because the, his, the, the sound of the hoofs in the fog and their own fear made it, him seem bigger, right, than he was. Um, but, uh, so yeah, so they're, they're clearly susceptible. And yet, even in their fear, Farmer Maggot is doing the, you know, his defiant thing. Sam is doing the, they'll have to ride over me thing. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, good. All right. Yes. As several of you have noticed that I did have one more slide. I'll save that one. The very last passage of chapter four. Uh, we'll end with that next time, and then we will indeed start chapter five next week. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, good. Okay. So thanks, everybody. We've, we're almost so close to being done with uh, chapter four. That was great, but it's field trip time now. Um, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna head out, and we're going to look at some more sturdy hobbitry here tonight. Before we do that, I wanted to talk about 
so on the calendar it says no class next week. Is that correct? Oh, right. actually, I think we can do class next week. We can do class next. Week. I think we okay. can. All yeah, right. yeah. All right. I've uh, I've I've I'm where I'm gonna be. Uh, I'm gonna be away next week. But where I where I am, I've been before, and I'm pretty sure the internet should be fine. So we should be able to do okay. it. Okay. Well, then I'll move it up, and we'll be on Arkenstone next week. Okay. Cool. Yes. So, all right. Excellent. Good. So for for our field trip tonight, do you want to let folks know? Yeah. So we're going to go to Oatbarton tonight. Um, Woo-hoo! I want to I want to look at, you know again thinking about farmer maggot and sort of typical hobbit life and everything. Um, I want to, uh, to 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 take another look at uh, when when Lotro really kind of digs into normal hobbit life and one of the most typical. I was kind of thinking like, all right, where where do we see something like the equivalent or or, or something similar to uh, you know the maggots and 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 what we see from the maggots and and the first thing that I came up with was Oatbarton. Um, you know, we we certainly see spread around different like families and quest lines and stuff where we where we can see that you know that that, that kind of thing but i i really like the the different quest lines and the whole immersion into a hobbit little sort of farming village that we get in oat barton so that's what we're going to look at cool so we were thinking probably the best way to do is just get us all to mickle delving yeah um, and then we can either ride. I think Rock and Boring Seat. You told me has swift travel. Swift travel from there. We can just ride up. Yeah. So so let's yeah. let's go okay. to Mickle Delving and ride across the Shire again. I think is probably the okay. best way. Anybody needs wishing to to uh, Mickle Delving? Come on over here, and I'll follow up with you. Yeah. No, I'll head out to the stable master. All right. If I can navigate the corners here. Here we go. <laughs> Anybody else want to ride? Okay. Cool. Excellent. <laughs> All right. No worries, Emma Thorne. I gotcha. All right. Let's see. I think those other people are sleeping over there. Okay. <laughs> I see people on the Twitch chat teasing me for going so fast here. How can I be of service? But really, guys, see, it's not my fault. Chapter four is really chapter four is only ten pages. I only did, I averaged like three pages a day. <laughs> a class, that's not very much. <laughs> there just aren't that many. So yeah, Hologrow, for people who have the swift travel, you can totally go from up to Tinnadir and down to Oatbarton. That is faster. Um, but I, I figured that there would be some people who wouldn't have the, the travel to Oatbarton open from Tinnadir. So I'm, I'll totally meet people there. Um, but I just figured it'd be easier to ride with people who don't have the uh, the right stable masters open. All right, so let's head over. <laughs> Sam Gussie Moose is already on the two towers now. Holy cow! 
We started on the same day, as I recall, Gussie Moose and I. And I'm finishing up Chapter 4, and she's in the Two Towers, huh? I think she's pretty safe if it's a race, then. All right. So we're going to head up to Brocken Borings again, which is a direction we've gone before. Trish, I'm getting some echo from your mic oh, again okay. a little bit. Still not quite sure why that's happening, but it is happening again. So here we're coming to Tookland, again looking at the map. So straight up through the North Farthing and up north of that. So we're going to near uh, where we went uh, when we went to Dwelling to see Ronald Dwale. Uh, and do the uh, quest where we got Ronald Dwell's pipe and we did the Rover Random quest looking for the little metal dog. Here we are coming through downtown Hobbiton where folks are so queer. Oh, almost Rivendelled the bridge. Of course it's not really a big threat there and then Brandywine Bridge, or the Brandywine Bridge. The Bywater Bridge, I meant. Crossing the water. All right. We're heading up through the forest. The Bind Bowl Wood through Overhill and then to Brocken Borings in the North Farthing. Look at us sticking to the road like civilized people. My son would not approve. All right, coming up on the green fields. So anyone who has Oatbarton opened can just take the stable master from here, but it's pretty quick just to ride up to, so we can just do that.
past the wooden statue of Bullroar with Golfimble's head. And then up we go. Across the green fields. Where the last battle in the Shire was fought. This, of course, you'll remember. We went and helped... The farmer up here rescue his sheep. Up there to the left is where the goblins of Mount Graham have come for their return engagement. Concerning which, Hauros the Ranger is slightly concerned. Yes, Holligro, you're right. Yeah, so uh, anyone who's under level 20... Um, the area that we're going into is not super high level, but it is like level, what is it, like level low 30s, I think. So, uh, yeah, just do keep in mind that, uh, but most of the time we're going to be in relatively civilized places with fewer things that attack you. So, yeah, 30 to 32. Thanks, Hologrow. All right. Here we are. No problem. Everybody made it? Okay. Everybody made it. So, the person we want to talk to, we're actually going to do some quests here, is this dude up here, Nod Gardener. Want to talk Might to him? I speak with you a moment? Yeah, you can speak to us for a moment. Uh, welcome to Oatbarton. We are home to some of the northernmost farms in the Shire. That means our crops have a distinctly sharper taste and our pipeweed lingers on the tongue. The main producer up here is the North Cotton Farm, just up to the west of town. They are getting ready for their harvest and annual market. I'm sure there is plenty to do. Okay, so we're supposed to go talk to Albin North Cotton and see what we can do to help him out on his farm. So we will accept that. If you look at the map, so this is across the border from the North Farthing into the area which is just north of the North Farthing. And this is the thing, I mean, you can see this on Tolkien's own maps and everything, but it's easy to forget about. Um, just north of the Shire, north of of, um, of the, the North Farthing, is Lake Evendim and the old city of Anuminus. That is, as sheltered as the Shire feels, right, as, as remote as it feels, um, you can see in the old days, right? In the old days of the Kingdom of Arnor, the, the Shire was like a suburb, practically. Not quite. It's a little bit of an exaggeration, but it's uh, it's very, very close uh, to Anuminus. This was the capital city, right? This is this is the city that Elendil built, um, and from which he ruled the North Kingdom. Fornost was, of course, the sort of the military capital, um, but uh, it's this is again the Shire just south of this. Um, of course, now in the modern world, right in in the world at the time of the Lord of the Rings, um, this whole area up here around Lake Evendim is kind of sketchy, right? We learn very little about it in the books. We don't really know when we get references to Lake Evendim, um, but still, we don't really know too much about it. Um, but it's wild and remote, right? Rangers go here, but that's all that we really um uh that that's all that we really know about it, right? Um but again, you think back to the old days and the Shire, you know, think about the relationship that the hobbits have to the king, 
right? Um, and how they still consider themselves loyal to the king and talk about the the return of the king and that kind of thing, right? Well, look at how geographically close they were to the king, right? The kingdom of Arnor was not some vague and, and distant theoretical thing, right? Um, you know, it's not like the Shire was to Arnor what, like, Britain was to Rome or something like that, right? They were right around the corner from the capital city. So that is kind of interesting. And this is actually a kind of perspective that I never really, that I had sort of overlooked. I'd never really thought about the the, the geographical proximity uh, between the Shire uh, and Anuminus until, you know, running around on the game map here. Um, all right, anyway, off we go to Oatbarton. Let's go to the farm and uh, see what life is like around the farm here in the North Farthing. So we got to go up into the main farm. I love the... Uh... Okay, so we've got hedges, lots of hedges. We can't go straight. We're going to go left. Um, love the, the round openings, right? The round doors in the hedges. Okay, so here's North Cotton Farm. Look at some of the, the farms and outbuildings. Most of these are buildings, though some of them are holes, or at least hole-like, right? Like this one over here is... This looks kind of like... Uh, kind of like Bag End, or kind of like... Um, uh, some of the larger houses, and so like uh, like Brandy Hall even, right? It's not on a hill like that. So it's But this is one of those hobbit houses that's a house but built to look like a hole, right? With turf roofs and stuff and little round uh, round windows and doors. Um, I love the fact that we see so often these these planters right outside the the windows, right? So that even from in you know from inside it almost it, like it looks like you're in the ground, right? Um, as opposed to some, you know a more traditional house like that. But this is more like the barn, right? So you've, you've got the bigger doors and stuff for your your ponies and cows and stuff to go through. Um, uh, anyway, all right, let's, let's keep going here. I'm going to lose my way. I'm going to run into lampposts, apparently. Uh, all right, we've got some sheep here. I, is this a root cellar, do you think? What is so... We've got... I guess it's connected to that sort of grain silo there. I think this has got to be a root cellar, don't you think? This tiny little door, which is small, I think, even for hobbit size... And would seem to go down into the ground there. Anyway. So we have these stone arches in the hedges. We've got fields. A combination of fences and hedges. Okay. Well, we're going to go up to the farm here. Oh, it farms this way, right? Yeah, there it is. Okay. Here's the North Cotton Market Grounds. All right there, Albin. Just a moment. That's right. There's much to do. Let's Would see some, of your time? some of the kinds of things that there are to do. They're terribly behind. Almost nothing has been done, and you don't know how we possibly can get it all done. The harvest has not been the greatest, so we have been spending all of our time trying to get what we did to grow, what we did grow to stay alive. Oh, dear. In order to have a proper farmer's market... <clears throat> hey, somebody leveled up there. That's cool. Uh, we have to have pies 
and premier pipeweed. Okay, so we need we need really good pipeweed and we need pies. We need to clean the place up and get the animals ready for petting. Get the animals ready for petting. We got we, so we have to we have to bathe the animals for the petting zoo. Okay, all right. We also told Nibs, uh, which is apparently a popular nickname, uh, that he could participate this year, and I hear he's had some trouble as of late. If you could help us get all this ready, we would greatly be in your debt. This may be the last year we can have this market, and I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure it's the best. Okay, so we have all these chores to do. Um, obviously, we're not going to be able to do most of them here, but let's let's take a look at some of the things that need doing. So let's kind of wander around and find, because you'll see we've got yeah, we've got quest arrows all over the quest rings all over the place. Look at this archery, right? We've got bows and targets here. That's interesting. Is that you think a normal hobbit thing, like a normal farm activity, which of course it could well be, uh, very traditional English peasant thing, right? A little light archery. We know it's the kind of thing hobbits are good at, and they do have bows. Do you think it's special, something that they're getting together for the for the fair? Right? Possibly. We'll have archery contests at the fair. That seems quite plausible. All right. Let's, um, let's go through here. Okay. We'll help out with the animals. Now that's a puzzle. The tower. On the one hand, it makes some sense. Because the hedge is so tall, you would want to be able to get up above it, right? To sort of look outside the hedge? Just to keep an eye out on things? But that seems like a very un-Hobbit-like structure, don't you think? You talk about most Hobbits don't, most Hobbits don't even have any stairs, right? And, uh, these people would, I mean, they have to go up a ladder clearly on the inside of that. I don't know. I don't know if Hobbits would actually build that. Maybe they would. But yeah, these are some really serious hedges here. Right. Um, all right. Hang on. Let me dismount because no need for horses here. And let's hope that polar bear doesn't spook the animals. All right, Gerard Deephole. All right. What do you need help with here? Okay. The market is more than just a place to come and buy and sell things from the farm. It's a chance to experience farm life, to see what it's like to work the land. Yeah, that's what we came for, to experience farm life. We want to pretend we're farm hands on the maggot farm. One of the most important parts of that <clears throat> is letting the little ones feed and pet the animals. Okay, is this where we get to bathe the animals? This is a major event for them. The animals or the, the little ones? I guess both, right? Uh, many of them have seen these animals before, but have never gotten a chance to get up close. There's a lot of work to do before the animals are ready, though. First up are the sheep. They got out of their pen in a storm last week, and I need your help gathering them back up. They're pretty docile. If you go and talk to them, they should follow you for a short bit and lead them back to the pen. Okay. All right. 
Can I just say that that doesn't work? Try it sometime. Uh, is this... No, this is the pen, right? So these are the sheep that are already in the pen, I guess. Right, so we need to find the sheep that are outside the pen and bring them in. So I think, I think, I think we saw a sheep around the corner, didn't we? I seem to recall there was a sheep over here. Yeah, that's right. You can tell on account of how that sheep is glowing. All right, he's got the sheep right in there. It is just following him back. Oh, that's adorable. Look at it go. That sheep is booking it back to the pen. And Okay, right, and there's one up there. That's cute, right? Okay, I want to get one. Is this sheep going to respawn over here? We got some chickens. I have a feeling we're going to be collecting chickens after this. So all you have to do is talk to the sheep, and they'll then come back with you? Huh. That is remarkably docile for a sheep. Gosh, it takes these sheep a long time to respawn. I guess these, uh, these quests are not particularly great ones to do in a crowd, huh? Hmm. I have to look for other sheep. Um. Oh, let's keep looking. Are there other sheep over here? Oh, there's another sheep being led back to the back to the pen. There's another one down here. All right, she's gonna get that one. Right. Here, can I get this one? Okay. Thank you. Let's see what happens. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be able to eat all four of them. Okay. There he is. What do you have to say to it? Okay. I wish I could get dialogue with the sheep. Okay, it's following me back. Do I have a timer? No, I don't. It will follow me indefinitely? Is it constrained by geography? Will this sheep follow me around wherever I go? Or just as long as I keep moving towards the pen? Come on, sheep. You still with me? Yeah. You know, my son works five days a week as an assistant sheep keeper. Trust me, it's not this easy. Yay! There he is! Oh man, look at all the sheep that are coming back to the pen here. His herd never will have been this big before. Wow. <laughs> Sam says sometimes he runs around doing other stuff just because it's fun to have the sheep following him. Yeah. Will he stick with you indefinitely, Sam? That's cool. Um, oh, actually, JJ, that is not... Matthias, it is my other son, Nicholas, who is an assistant sheep keeper. Uh, this is his, uh, and it is not a job so much as an after-school activity. He's a volunteer assistant sheep keeper. Um, okay, this is going to take me a long time to gather all the sheep, especially since there are dozens of other people also gathering sheep. So let's go up to the next guy, because there are bunches of people that we need. Oh, there comes another sheep! Oh, look out! Incoming sheep! All over the place! 
That's great. Okay. Let's see what other kinds of tasks need to be done around the farm, in addition to uh, politely asking sheep to return. What a... What does Rosa Brockhouse want? I'm supposed. Oh, she's the pie maker. I'm supposed to make several pies for the market, but I haven't had the time to gather up all the ingredients that I need to begin baking. The first step is to make the crust. For that, we will need a few things, but the first is flour. So you don't even have flour, boy. This we are really starting at square one here. To make the- we have to gather the wheat. Oh dear. Oh dear. Oh, we are. Absolutely square one, huh? Then bring it to the windmill for grinding. Wheat can be found in the fields here at the North Cotton Farm. Edolf Tunnelly is at the windmill to the west. Okay. Man. Alright, so we've gotta we've gotta find wheat in the fields. Man, okay, so alright. Let's go harvest the grain and grind it into flour and bring the flour to Rosa so she can make pies. Alright. What? Oh, man. There are lots of crows around here. That can't be a good thing. These crows making off with all the wheat? Where's the, where's the wheat? Is there any wheat? Or do people take the wheat? Of course, I can't tell, really. But I think this is where we're supposed to gather wheat. And collect sheep. I see people are <laughs> trailing their sheep around with them. Alright. Oh, there's the wheat down there, of course. We just missed it. There we go. Alright. There it is. Okay. Now, this is some collectible wheat. I think those crows are going to be a problem, though. So I'm just supposed to harvest the whole field? Okay, there we are. Does it have to reset in there? Oh, man. The sheep ate all the wheat? I know. Yeah, so, uh, uh, John class on Discord wants to know if you can take the sheep to Mordor. How far will the sheep go? Has anyone experimented with this? I mean, I assume that there's some kind of statute of limitations on the sheep, right? That's why I was a little bit surprised to not see a timer. Alright, so we're baking pies. We're preparing the petting zoo. This is great. All for the sake of the fair. The farmer's fair. Okay. Alright, I'm going to go back to Rosa. I suspect she's going to send it, because now that I've gathered the wheat from the fields, probably now I've got to go back to the mill, right, and get it ground for flour. Is this her? Yes, this is her, right? There we go. Okay. Oh, wait. No, wait. How, what do I have to do? Uh, oh, wait. Bring, yeah. I got to do it. Where, where is Edolf Tunnel? Right. 
I thought I had to go back to her first, but no. She said he's to the west, so I guess... Where's the windmill? Did I miss the windmill? Where's the windmill? You'd think you could see the windmill, right? Oh, wait! There's the windmill! Wait, but we can't go that way, because... Hedge. Right? Where do we go? Do we go through this way? No. Oh, no, I'm not getting any closer to the windmill. This is the downside of Oat Barton. The bloody hedges make it hard to navigate. We gotta go all the way around, don't we? Okay, let's keep going around. Guess I shouldn't have gone back. Thought I had to check back in with... Oh, here we go. Alright, I'm seeing windmill. There we are. Alright. There he is. Okay, sorry. Alright, Adolf. Oh, and you're, you're female as well. Sorry, Adolf. How do you do? Yeah. Um, okay, oh, we've got wheat. It's going to take some time. Oh, but you're having trouble with rats. Oh, so we've got to kill rats? Oh, dear. Oh, man. All kinds of things we have to do. These are the heroics that you get up to in Oatbarton. Um, of course, we could do this all night. I do have one of my alts that did all of the quests in Oatbarton because he was doing a completionist tour of Evendim, which by golly includes Oatbarton, so I did them all. Um, it did take me a very, very long time to complete every single... to get completely ready for the Farmer's Fair, uh, which is... Uh, uh, which is which is quite which is which is quite an undertaking, um, but I love the sort of the communal nature of things and all of the all of the small tasks added one on top of the other. It's uh, it's 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 lovely up here in Oak Barton. But of course, those of you who have been playing the game know that things get very dark up here in Oak Barton. Right, that uh, before too long, uh, when you hit what is it level sixty five, I think, you get a you get a new um, a new series of quests where you have to come back to Oatbarton because Oatbarton has come under attack uh, and has been invaded uh, by lots of sketchy creatures, uh, including, of course, primarily this Gaunt Lord who is attempting uh, to poison all of the hobbits. Um, and his insidious plan is, in fact, a perversion of the happy... Uh, uh, rustic hobbit life of Oatbarton in that he is brewing this cauldron of poison which smells like delicious pie. Uh, so the hobbits come out to, uh, you know, are sort of entranced by the smell of the pie, but in fact it's poison. Um, and he's trying to murder them all. And you have to come back up here and rescue them uh, from the goblins and spiders, mostly spiders, uh, lots of poisonous things uh, that are up here uh, in Oatbarton, and so you get to come back to this place and see it uh, covered uh, with spiders and webbing and goblins and evil things trying to murder all the hobbits. Um, uh, so, anyway, it's uh, uh, that th that same contrast that we can see. Uh, and again, the way in which, you know, it's it's fascinating to me the two times that were brought into Oatbarton here, right? This first time, these are all the quests, right? They never get more serious than this. They, 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 they really don't get much more grave than extermination, 
farm hold, far, uh, 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 farmhouse chores, um, helping to collect livestock and that kind of thing. Um, and then the second time we come through when the outside world has invaded, right? And when uh, suddenly the world of Oat Barton has completely changed and now the entire perspective on it is different as indeed we come through this same place, uh, you know, in the same map, but it looks different, right? Um, and uh, we have a whole new point of view on it. So anyway, that's, uh, I think, a really interesting um, thing that they've done in Lotro. Of course, I'm not saying that in Lotro they're explicitly thinking of Farmer Maggot and all that stuff, but we can see the same kind of phenomenon going on here uh, in Oatbarton in the game, and that, that juxtaposition between the quiet uh, farm life up here in Oatbarton, and I love this whole little hobbit community that we get up here uh, in this extended farm of the North Cotton Farm, and... Um, the uh the the uh the, the the terrible invasion of you know the forces of evil here into the shire as uh uh after the rangers have left and uh the wizards are not around and nobody's paying attention anymore and uh and the hobbits are starting uh, are starting to suffer that is if you don't come and rescue them which hopefully you will um so we don't have time to look at both and of course the whole I, I didn't want to do the level 65 instance because nobody can get into it if you're not level 65. Um, but uh, uh, but anyway, so I just wanted to... And besides, nicer to dwell, in the, especially in the context of today's class, uh, to dwell on the positive uh, farm, uh, domestic farm life up here in Oatbarton uh, rather than the tragedies and near tragedies that happen later on. But all right, anyway, it's getting late. I should let everybody go. Thanks for joining me. We are going to have class next week. So class next week is on. Um, now that I'm I'm confident in my travel and where I'm going to be and in my internet connection when I get there, so that should be all right. So I'm planning on class next week, Arkenstone uh, server, and uh, I look forward to starting Chapter 5 and getting back to the conspiracy, which we've talked about a little bit in the past. Uh, but we will, we will unmask the conspiracy and probably get to Buckland in our, uh, in our field trip next week. So thanks very much for joining me, everybody. And I will see you guys next week. Don't forget, Boethius class tomorrow, book two. So see you guys tomorrow, if not next week. Thanks, everybody. Bye now.